Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. So uh, here's the uh, Allen West version, Watchtower Firearms, a BDRX. You can see it has the Steadfast and Loyal podcast logo on it. And on this side, you've got, you know, my actual digitized signature and my Army Master Parachutist wings. And, of course, you got to have the American flag. And, again, I mean, this is such an incredibly light weapon. I mean, I just... just can't believe it. And I like the skeletized design. And this flash suppressor here is unique. Uh, they make it here at Watchtower, and it actually reduces the rise of the weapon when you fire it. So I'm just looking forward and Magpul hard sights, and I think I'll keep hard sights on this, but uh, I'm looking forward to taking it out here and shooting it and uh, zeroing it in. And I love the skeletized uh, hand grip here. And of course, you got the extendable, you know, butt stop. But and I, and I prefer this uh, forward hand grip, you know, more than anything else. I, I really, I really like this. So here it is, you know, right up there next with Rob O'Neill. It's hard to believe that, but that's why America is such a great country. Where a kid born in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, can have an AR-15 design by him and with his signature on it, limited edition. So check out their website, watchtowerfirearms.com. If you want, you can purchase one of these. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Law Podcast. You know, so often people don't think about what's going on in their local level elections, you know, definitely county and below. But I think you're starting to see an awakening when it comes to even our state level elections. and. Here in Texas, something monumental has happened. When you have so many incumbents in the Texas State House, Republicans, that are facing challenges, and even you have 40 to 45 county chairs on the Republican side getting primary. Now, why is this so important? Because we're two weeks away from the primary election starting here in the state of Texas, 20 February to the 1st of March, and then Super Tuesday. A very big day across the country, but a very big day here in Texas for that GOP primary, which will be on Tuesday, the 5th of March. And so I wanted to speak with someone that, without a doubt, everyone across the state of Texas in the constitutional conservative grassroots movement, they know her, they respect her, and she has really gone, I tell you what, deep into understanding and challenging and also interviewing so many candidates, and that's Joanne Fleming. Joanne Fleming of Grassroots America, We the People Incorporated, is the largest constitutional conservative citizen organization in East Texas and one of the largest in Texas. They are networked with more than 300 conservative groups across the Lone Star State and also the nation. And in her capacity as the two-term chairman of the Texas Legislature's Tea Party Caucus Advisory Committee, as well as chairman of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's Grassroots Advisory Board and statewide leader in the Life, Liberty, and Property Coalition, she is the Grassroots America We the People Executive Director, and she is on the front lines of state policy development and governmental reforms. Joanne, thanks for coming in and being with us. Thank you for asking me, Alan. It's quite a treat to be sitting next oh, to you. Wow, and, I don't know about all that. And talking about some of our favorite things, yes. the, the art and war of politics, That's right? it, the soul Sun Tzu thing. That's right. And, and you've seen this so much. Have you ever seen the amount of challengers to Texas State House races that you're seeing in this cycle? I have not, and I want to say that I am really 
excited about the quality of candidates. Mm -hmm. You know, I've said for, for years and years, um, this is 16th year for Grassroots America. I was active in politics before then. So I've, I've had, you know, uh, uh, three decades, because mm -hmm. uh, I started when I was 10, you know, yeah. uh, to interviewing candidates. Yeah. And so what I'm seeing is that we have more informed candidates. Mm -hmm. And I said a long time ago, we have to grow our own. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've tried to do with the Texas Conservative Grassroots Coalition is to have SRECs and uh, conservative county chairs and precinct chairs and Tea Party leaders, opinion leaders, come together and take these new activists that showed so much promise and bring them in and have some of the best subject matter experts in Texas and across the nation mm -hmm. to come in and talk about these big issues. For example, the border. Yeah. We had Ken Cuccinelli to come in. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do those things to get people to understand the big issues that are important to Texans. And so over time, uh, because that coalition has grown by two, over 2,000% since we started it in 2015, and so we've seen a remarkable number of mm -hmm. candidates come out of that. Tom Glass, mm -hmm. uh, Wes Verdell, mm -hmm. Mike Alcott, mm -hmm. uh, Dale Hulse, Andy Hopper. I mean, when you when, when you interview those candidates, they know the issues, yeah. they know the solutions, but they also know the problems from down in Austin because they've actually been down there on the ground mm -hmm. testifying and trying to get our conservative legislation over the finish line. And so I am excited about them, but outside of them, I've come across some really great candidates. I wanna focus on one of them right now. Well, let me ask you this. Because I want everyone to understand, sure. how many interviews have you done in this cycle getting ready for this primary? Oh, right around 100. That's incredible. 100. People. Yes, and they are not drive-bys. I mean, we, we, you know me, I don't, I try not to, oh, with yeah. my questioning, don't lead the witness. I mean, they, I, I try to extract from a candidate what their core values and principles mm -hmm. are by the type of questions that we ask. We don't ask any yes or no questions. Um, we don't reveal what our questions are going to no be. No favorite ice cream? No, 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 no. Uh, we don't do any of that. It is, it is to find out if they catch the car, will they know what to do with Absolutely. it? Because if they don't know how to analyze a bill, mm -hmm then how are they going to judge whether a piece of legislation that the lobby uh, group of whatever flavor you want to pick, mm -hmm. is that a good bill for the people or is it just a good bill for the lobby? Yeah. And so we take them through a series of, of questions to see if they know how, if they have good reasoning ability, mm -hmm. what, their, what their rural view is. Yeah. Because I'm looking for somebody that I believe we can send down there and if they are willing to listen to grassroots subject matter experts, if they're willing to rely on the conservative movement to help them get more sponsors for their bills, etc., mm -hmm. then we can have a dynamic conservative movement that is working in concert. Yeah. And so, you know, I want I, I want people to focus on conservative, I, I say Judeo-Christian biblical values first, yep. and liberty principles. What does limited government actually mean? Yeah. And how does it apply to the issues of the day? And so if, you, if we've got people united around those things, then political personalities and cult figures as they come and go, mm -hmm. You know, I just tell people, look, everybody's going to let you down at some time or another. You're, you're not going to agree with a decision they made. And so people don't intend to leave you down, but let you down. But bedrock principles and values don't, they don't. because they are not elastic. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if your standards and principles are elastic enough to fit down over your favorite politician, they really are not principles and standards. No. So that's how we start out uh, and, and try to get everybody focused on the same thing. They don't, you know, people in our coalition don't have to agree on every issue, mm -hmm. but we do ask them 
to employ the golden rule, uh, treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. And if you disagree, let's sit in and have an adult Absolutely. debate about it. Don't act like the left and want to burn them down because they don't agree with you on an yeah. issue. Let's talk about it. Well, it's interesting because as you were talking, I remember the movie that had Robert Redford in it called The Candidate. Mm -hmm. And when that famous line at the end, after he had won, he said, so what do we do next? Right. And, and I think that you're seeing the fruits of your labor over these years, and now you have all of these candidates out there. So let's delve into this, because what we want to do is look at some of these top races that sure. are happening here in the state of Texas. And I think that this could probably be a, a, a paradigm, an example that could be used in other states where they see some of these issues as well. So let's oh, yes. start out with your, your, your top Texas State House race that you see. Well, I, I tell you, the, the one that, that we really want to win, we really need to win, uh, is in House District 21, mm -hmm. which of course is Dade Phelan's seat. And let me let me qualify this by saying Texas Speaker of the House. Yes, Speaker of the House. If if we if if he is defeated by David Covey, if he's defeated in that race, then there are other lieutenants that are gonna be equally as, as bad for the conservative movement as Dade that will come along. So this is not a microwave solution mm -hmm. to the whole thing. So I would just want people to understand that. Uh, but I, I, let me say some great things about David Covey. David Covey, of course, who is the I think is the primary challenger in this in in uh, the race, uh, w interviewed so very well. And I I came to understand halfway through the interview, probably what had helped him is he worked for Senator Bob Hall. Mm. And so he, while the Senate side is very different from the House side. There are still issues, the same issues, debated. Fundamentals. Fundamentals. And so David was exceptionally sharp on not only what's wrong with the solutions. Yeah. For example, election integrity. Of course, working for Bob Hall, he understands all of that. Um, and he, was, he had some very good ideas on property tax, uh, just g getting rid of it. Uh, some very interesting points uh, that he talked about. But he was saying that it, you know, that one of the things I really liked about what David had to say was, it's not enough to have legislators go down there and vote right. They need to have the right conservative narrative mm -hmm. that they are messaging at all times. That's the key. And we don't have enough of that. Yes. Uh, well, and I'll give you an example, and for, for the uh, listeners and viewers out there that don't know this, the Republican House Caucus, the Republican Senate Caucus of the legislature, never, ever issues a set of priorities for themselves for the legislative session. Mm -hmm. They just don't. Now, the Republican Party of Texas has yes. priorities. And of course, on the ballot in, in March, on March 5th, we have these 13 propositions mm -hmm. that I like to say is the best opinion poll that any Republican official in Texas can rely on because the outcome of those issues is what the people, what the base thinks about what they're doing and they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And Alan, if you look down that list, there are so many things on there that we've been talking about for a long time I know, I know. that it just is shocking. For example, that a citizenship verification should be necessary before you vote. I run across people all the time that don't know that's already in place. Mm. And so this is an opportunity for a new breed of House members to come in that are steeped in the conservative philosophy, know how to apply it to the issues of the day, and then can articulate it back out to the people and make sure the people understand, number one, that they're being heard. Yeah. Because you know, you know and I know that the vast majority of people don't think they are ever heard by elected mm -hmm. officials at all. Yeah. 
Well, and that creates that chasm. Yeah. Because so yes. often people go, being in, in Austin or Washington, D.C., and it is the lobby that gets their ear, or it's their self-interest that is placed above the interests of their constituents, mm -hmm. and they end up not being representatives, mm -hmm. but being the, uh, the bag boys for yeah. the folks that are coming and tugging them the most. And that brings up a, a, an important point there, the lobby and how your Republican legislators relate to the lobby. Did you know that if you go to grassrootspriorities.com, grassrootspriorities.com, if you go to that homepage, you can scroll down and click on any legislator, and it will bring you up a menu of items. One of those is how many, how, what percentage of the time does this Republican voter agree with Democrats? Mm. How, what percentage do they vote with Democrats? What, uh, where do they get their money? And how often do they agree with certain lobby groups? Mm -hmm. And it has the Paxton decision on there. So it's a menu and, and what we've seen is that people are going, oh my gosh, my incumbent votes with Democrats 62.3% of the time? What are they doing? Yeah. And that's not bipartisanship. That, not, that, that's almost a sell. Right, right. Yeah. And so that data actually comes from the House Journal, the, the Senate uh, Journal, and it comes from uh, Texas Legislature Online. Mm -hmm. So all that is it just extracted straight out of the public record and then it's packaged in understandable formats for activists. Good. And they've been using those because when they get on in these, what I call these little little tussles on social media, they'll go, yeah, but did you know that this incumbent votes with Democrats 62.3% of the time and here's where you can find it. So what we've wanted to do is to empower candidates mm -hmm. with this, empower activists, empower just regular, you know, Joe and Jane that are sitting down going, you know what, I think our state is headed in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I've heard this grassroots priorities is where we can go and we can find information out for ourselves. You know, that's the ultimate liberty, mm -hmm. uh, Alan, is when the people can find out what government is doing to them. Yeah all on their own and nobody they don't have to get any spin that goes with it but just the fact well the bible says my people suffer for lack of knowledge and i think that's what you're creating here for them so speaker of the house race so important yes, yes. uh even the president uh presidential candidate donald trump has mm -hmm. endorsed in this race mm -hmm. uh to the challenger david covey What's your next one you want to discuss? Well, so I've got some top ones that are that are that came out of the uh, our coalition movement, mm -hmm. and that is Tom Glass okay. uh, in House District 17, Stan Ger going against incumbent Stan Gerds, uh, Dale Hulls in House District One going against Gary Van Dever, Andy Hopper of course House District 64, mm -hmm. uh, putting it to old Lynn Stuckey. Uh, West Verdell, House District 53, which that was Andy Murr's seat, and yeah, he, he stepped decided down. he would just not, just not rumble. Um, and folks, if you want, you can go back and you can see the interview that we did with mm -hmm, West Verdell mm -hmm. and also with uh, with Dale Hulls, and uh, had got a great relationship with Andy Hopper. So you can go back and archive some of the Steadfast and Low podcasts, sure. and you can see them. Uh, another top one, um, Mike Alcott. House mm -hmm. District 60 against Glenn Rogers. So just to go back to Tom Glass, I gotta I gotta talk about Tom Glass here for okay. a minute. The kind of the kind of man he is, the kind of uh, legislator that I believe he would be. Tom is our constitutional attorney and scholar that's in the movement, and he has been. He was actually when I was out. Uh, most of the session with my mother for an illness she had. Tom was was my eyes and ears on the ground in the Capitol on a couple of big bills, the border bills, mm -hmm. uh, election integrity bills, and also the transactional gold and silver bill mm -hmm. that we were working on. So Tom, Tom is the kind of guy that you know he understands the globalist agenda uh, World Economic Forum, he is a guy that can interpret that and see that coming down in state legislative okay. uh, bills. 
he can see it at the local level. He can articulate that. But the thing I like about Tom Glass is he is a happy warrior and he is able to navigate through that capital. Even some of the Republicans that are far, 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 far left uh, mm -hmm. of where you and I are, mm -hmm. he is able to talk to them and they, res they respect him mm -hmm. because Tom never picks up a hammer first. He tries to go and talk to people. Mm -hmm. Now, Tom is absolutely equipped to take out his hammer if he has to, mm -hmm. but Tom is a guy that's got the kind of demeanor and temperament that he's just easy to listen to. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I'm just, but I told him, I said, you know, Tom, you got to send a replacement for you in the coalition. And I said, those are going to be some big shoes big to shoes. fill because he is just, he's just really a great subject matter expert on a range of bills, great command of topics. Uh, Dale Hulse, of course, yep. uh, is working really hard. He's, they are doing a lot of block walking and Good. have been for a long time as well as Tom Glass. Yep. Dale is also someone who is a, a researcher. I like to say he is our rocket scientist. Uh, <laughs> he it, is, Because actually. he actually yeah. was, was an, uh, a NASA engineer, yeah. so actually he was, and he's very, very smart. Um, Andy Hopper, of course, strong, mm -hmm. uh, conservative. And Andy was very close two yes. years ago. Yes. I think it was less than 200 votes. Yes, he was. Yeah. And, and the thing about these men is that even if they have run before <clears throat> and were not successful, they came right back into yeah. the conservative movement. They stayed active and engaged with everybody around the state. They are known. They didn't just go, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't make it, so I'm just going to go home and sulk about it. They have, because it is, a, it is a passion for them to save Texas. Yeah. And I, I have to admire that uh, in anybody, that they will just stay with it. And they all have. They all have. Um, so, Mitch Little. Yes. I think Mitch interviewed very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, he um, he was really more informed about some of the uh, processes <laughs> that happen in the house that are not those that you read about. Yeah. you know. So he was he really has a good understanding. He's a that. lawyer by background, and he yes. was a lawyer for Attorney General Paxton yes, yes. in that Senate uh, yes. Yes. impeachment trial. And he had some he had some really good ideas because I like to ask questions about rules. What mm -hmm. rules changes do you think would put the Texas House back on the side of the people and he had some really good um really good answers for that um he is very strong on wanting to make sure that we ban uh anti-american interest from purchasing property in the united states that was states. huge and that's one of the things i could not understand uh, it was all about foreign adversaries being able to come mm -hmm. in by land, mm -hmm. and it d died in the Texas State House. Yes, in the State Affairs Committee, yeah. uh, it passed in the Senate, and then Todd Hunter, Chair of State Affairs, sat on that bill and didn't let it out. And mm -hmm. so here's what's happened over time. If you take um, Mark Jones Rice University, mm -hmm. left-right mm -hmm. analysis of the House and the Senate, the reason that our entire legislature, including conservatives, keep being pulled over to the left is because of this very thing, Alan. If you look at it, it's the Republican and Democrat uh, committee chairs that keep conservative legislation bottled up in committee. You and I could go down there, and if we didn't have conservative legislation to vote on, Alan, we would get over yeah, time right. pulled to the left because we don't have any good bills to vote on. Yeah. So that is one that that is the big picture that we're trying to get across to people. You have to care more about Texas than you do about Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. That's a remote place. I don't think we're going to straighten that out <clears throat> at all if we don't get Donald Trump back in there 
or if something would happen, I'll just go ahead and tell you. My second choice would be DeSantis, Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. I'm a no on Nikki Haley. Although, if she were my choice, I'd vote for her before I voted well, for Joe Biden. Well, you just brought up a good point. And, and, <clears throat> and again, Mitch Little, we had him on the uh, mm -hmm. Steadfast and Law program, and Dale Hulls, so you can go back and archive and look at that Hulls, H-U-L-S. But one of the things that has to concern us about Ambassador Haley is the recent revelation of the memo from her campaign asking Democrats to come and vote in the Republican primary. And as you know, 70 to 75 percent of her support in New Hampshire came from non-Republicans. And then the exit polls showed that 45 percent of those said they wouldn't vote for her in the general election. A lot of people don't know that we have open primaries that's here in right. the state of Texas. That's right. Talk to us about that, because that's one of the 13 uh, propositions it is. also. Well, and you know, that's not a new thing. I, we have been talking about the need to close primaries in this state since, I'd say, the late 90s, wow. early 2000s, when we were trying to wrestle control of Austin away from the Democrats. Mm -hmm. See, there are a lot of people that think that Texas has always been a Republican. No. No. Yeah. No. Uh, and so um, that was talked about, and, and here was the response from Republicans. Well, you know, we, we've got some conservative people that can't be elected as Republicans. And so if we close the primary, we're going to force those, those people to prematurely pick Republicans, and then they may get defeated. So it was one of those kind of circular, I never yeah. could, that made no sense yeah. to me. And so this goes back to the issue of articulating the principles and values. Mm -hmm. We must differentiate the Republicans of Texas from the Republicans of Washington, D.C. The Republican Party of Texas has to be fundamentally different than the RNC. Mm -hmm because it needs to be one that is that listens to what people are saying. That's why I keep emphasizing these 13 propositions, because over time, the people have told us, the base of the Republican Party, have told us over and over and over again the things they want them to go to Austin and fix. And every session, when we blow right past them, the and, we don't, and we don't yeah. get them done, yeah. you know, Joe and Jane sitting at home are going, well, well what are they doing for me? Yeah. So it's that lack of results, and you marry that in some quarters with the inability to go out and connect with everyday people, as you did when you were party chair. Well, you're very kind. Uh, to go out where real people are, Alan. Um, real people, real people mm -hmm. that have real concerns are not necessarily at, uh, you know, your country club golf course. They are not necessarily, although I'm sure they're good people there too, but I'm saying if we're going to have a party that is reflective of the people of Texas, you've got to go out and meet people where they are. Yes. And I, and I hate that outreach thing. No, just yeah. be with people. Engage with them. And engage with yeah, them. For a few minutes, listen to what they have to say. You can learn an awful lot about mm -hmm. what really matters to a person if you just if you just listen to them. So, so that's why I'm interested in some of the messaging. And I'll tell you another person. Okay. Let's go to some of the women now, conservative yes, women. Uh, Shelley Luther. Yes. Uh, Shelley, of course, had a big health scare. Mm -hmm. And Shelley, I'm going to tell you what, she's come back strong. She is, she, it was an excellent interview with her. She's up to speed on so many of the issues. And she's running against Reggie Smith. Which house district is that? House district 62. Okay. And um, so he, Reggie Smith's claim to fame for the entire session was he kept all our election integrity bills holed up in that committee that he was chair of and didn't let them come out, like the citizenship yeah. issue, a whole range of issues on election integrity that he just he just kept bottled up. It's time for Reggie to hit the bricks. So I got to tell y'all, 
Shelly Luther may do it this time. I and, think she has the, uh, really a good chance. And for do. those of y'all from outside the state of Texas, Shelly Luther was the, uh, the owner of a hair salon that was arrested here in Dallas County because she opened up her hair salon back during COVID. So, you know, that's the type of person we're looking at that, you know, she put her money where the mouth was. She, I mean, she went up and stood on principles, liberty principles, mm -hmm. and she was willing to suffer the consequences. So yeah, Shelley mm -hmm. Luther, and her district is kind of north and east of us, uh, kind of as you going up toward uh, Oklahoma, the Texoma area. Mm -hmm. um, so another one, Debbie Duke, yes, uh, who well. is uh, District 56 uh, in the uh, Anderson, Doc Anderson seat, he's Waco. retiring, mm -hmm. yes. Um, so now, Debbie, uh, she is our go-to subject matter expert on election integrity. She knows um, she knows quite a bit about how the process works down there. Of course, she's an SREC. Yeah, State Republican Executive Committee. Yes, yes. And so she knows down in the weeds what we need to do at the ground level, at the county level. Uh, for election integrity all the way up to what we need to change in the um, election code. But she said this, which I thought was great. She said, I am a citizen first candidate, not a big business first. So that's probably why some of the big business uh, lobbies are out to get uh, Debbie Duke. But Debbie is, is very smart. She's, she's a hardcore conservative, and she's um, got the right ideas about how we really tackle mm -hmm. uh, something like human trafficking. Because yeah. Debbie, Debbie and I had a great conversation about this. I said, the least talked about part of the vile, disgusting crime against nature that is human trafficking the least talked about are the purchasers. Yes. Because Debbie and I both said, you know, the purchasers, most of them do not live in trailer parks and uh, slums. No, no. So, you know, it's, it's I think that um, for us to really tackle that, we've got to have people of great courage to tackle that issue. Mm -hmm from the local level. So Debbie and I talked about looking at the laws we already have on the books yeah. and maybe talk to some conservative district attorneys mm -hmm. to talk about are there any tweaks in state law that we need to do to make it easier for them to go after the people that are buying. Because if there wasn't a market, Texas happen. would not fluctuate between number two, number one and number two mm -hmm. in the nation. Mm -hmm. And, human trafficking. And I want people to understand that in the top five cities for sex trafficking in the United States of America, Houston, Texas, and Dallas, Texas are in that top five. And I, I live here in Dallas County. So we have got to have state legislature, mm -hmm. legislators that tackle this issue because it is right there in front of us. And you're right, it's not the folks living out there in the rural areas and the trailer parks or out there in Garland where I am. It's some very affluent people that are involved with that. Um, so Janine Chapa, yeah. who's in House District 20, she's running against uh, incumbent Terry Wilson. Um, Janine, uh, very, very much grassroots. She's got some great grassroots activists uh, mm -hmm. that are helping her. Um, we talked about things like, you know, I wanted to see if she understood um, the World Economic Forum and how that translates into policy for oil and gas, and yeah. she absolutely did. Um, she said, you know, you have a lot of these green energy companies mm -hmm. that are always asking for the subsidies, both at the federal and the state level. And she was talking about how they um, are always pushing net zero, net yeah. zero. Yeah. And she said, she said, I think a lot of these legislators don't know that that takes us back to the Stone Age. Mm -hmm. And so she's very, I mean, I, I, she's not going to, there are things about the legislative process that Janine does not know. But when it comes to going uh, and, and talking about the merits of a conservative piece of legislation, she has the right core values already in place 
and enough policy knowledge that I think Janine would be just great. Super. I got to ask you a question. Yes. I want you to let people out there know. Can incumbents come in and get interviewed by you? Well, sure. Do they? Yes. Uh, very few. Very few. <laughs> Wonder why. Um, I don't know. I guess I have a reputation for asking some tough questions. But shouldn't they want? Well, sure. And I would love to. Because, you know, I remember you know being a candidate for governor, and I sat down in front of you. Uh, you look at this not as some, you know, lovey-dovey set. This is what you call a job interview. Oh, it is. Yes. And I would think that if an incumbent wants to keep this job, which yes. it shouldn't be seen as a yes. job, they would want an interview on that. Sure. So why is it that we have this mentality that I don't have to come down? Well, I think a lot of them, um, if they have certain big, um, big packs, big lobby groups behind them, shoveling them plenty of money, they figure, well, in fact, in some of them, um, for example, Justin Holland yeah. looks down his aristocratic nose at the grassroots and says, who needs the party? Who needs anybody? You know. And so they just have that kind of arrogant mindset. Um, so they wouldn't enjoy an interview with me, I'm sure. But, uh, but I will say that I did have a few. And there were a couple of incumbents that I really didn't need to interview a lot. Um, I just said, you know, um, we're interested in endorsing it. Because we don't have a friendly incumbent policy. Yeah, yeah. We just do not know where everybody needs to be you know, we need to talk to you again. Because um, Alan has always liked to say is, if I if we endorse you once, that's not a lifelong commitment. That's right. Not a lifelong commitment. So, uh, so often they don't want to. But here's what I said to, to the few incumbents that I talked to. I said, look, every legislative session, from our perspective, we start over. Okay? Mm -hmm. So now, while it's true that what a person has done in the past, is a pretty good indicator about what they'll do in the future. If we can have a conversation here where I can tell you, here's some things the grassroots could actually do to help you and your staff. Yeah. If you'll just listen for a few minutes. And then they'll start saying, well, if y'all would do this and you would do that. Well, we're not going to take the place of their staff. okay? But we will do some things to help their staff and help them get their message out if it's the right thing during the session. Help them move a bill. We do that all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. Help move the right bill. Mm -hmm. So, but I did say, you know, here's where your relationship with the grassroots broke down and here's why. Now, can we talk about fixing this? And we talk about some practical things we can do to communicate better. Because mm -hmm. I, I am not a person, I don't communicate with people through social media. I, okay? Some people do that. I don't. I prefer to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so if I, if I send you a red flag like, you know, you're really close to the edge there. And if you keep backing up, you're just going to go you over. Yeah. Um, then we can talk about it and always try to use a sense of humor even mm -hmm. in the even in the worst of circumstances uh, except when it is a gross moral failure yeah. now I tell these candidates all of my ask them I said is there anything that you don't want your spouse your pastor your kids your parents your best friend to see on a billboard you better tell me now yeah. So we can talk about it because we're going to run a financial and a criminal background check on you. But if you've got something that those are not going to flag up for me, you, we better talk about it now because if I, if you tell me no and we endorse you and then it comes out mm -hmm. and it can be verified, it will be the most painful unendorsement you can ever imagine. So we give people a chance yeah. because, you know, Alan, you and I both believe in redemption. Absolutely. And Nobody's people, perfect. people, you know, recovering from a, from a flaw, from a failure. And so that's the kind of message that we try to give to the incumbents that, yeah. look, you know, if you screwed up last session and you just went down there and you didn't really try the hardest and you got it all back now. You can redeem yourself. Yeah, let's work together yeah, to get the right yourself. thing done. Now, speaking of which, let's talk about the comeback kid. Kyle Biederman. 
Yes. Uh, you know, don't you, you just have to love Kyle. Yeah. Because uh, he's one of those, uh, what do they call him, patriot? Uh, what do they call him, Texpat? Texpat. Tex, yeah, yeah, a guy that wasn't uh, uh, wasn't born Texan, but he got here and he's become. Oh, you mean kind of like, like me? <laughs> yeah, kind of like you. <laughs> just remember, folks, there ain't no Texas without Tennessee volunteers. Yeah, okay? we, just remember that. That's true. Well, <laughs> no. That is so true. No, but I'm you know, just, they called them second chance men. Yes. So many of them who came here to Texas because yes. they saw an opportunity to, to redeem themselves. Yes, you know, yes. Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, uh, Travis, all of them, Sam Houston. And so I, you, you kind of do see Kyle is, is in that light. Well, and I have to say that those men, you know, Texans is the only state in the union where people will start a conversation by going, I'm a sixth generation Texan. <laughs> yes. I, mean, you know, I mean, does anybody from Rhode Island say that? No, they don't. So it's a Texas thing. Yeah. But, but I will have to say that I have met a few people that moved here recently and they know more about Line in the sand. Now, some of the people who use it as a rhetorical flourish, because yeah. you know and I know that politicians use that all the time, yes, and then they keep moving the line and yep. moving, they never deliver on it. So, uh, so yeah, Kyle Biederman. Um, I, I have high hopes for Kyle. We had hoped that Ellen was going to be more conservative. Um, Ellen Trost, Claire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, Kyle Biederman, and he was he was uh, he said, "Hey, Joanne." Do I have to interview with you again? I went, yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, Kyle Biederman. So we have high hopes, high hopes for Kyle. Let's talk about um, yeah, who we want in your area, Cole okay. Hefner. Oh, the incumbent. Yeah. Well, um, HD five. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, Cole. Um, Cole lost his ability to be considered uh, for endorsement after his first session down there because our board is, you know, we, we endorsed him his first term. And, um, but, but if you start having votes that are questionable, and if I send you and your staff a request that we need you to answer this question mm -hmm. in writing to tell us why you did what you did, because I make them put it in writing because yes. you could tell me anything yeah. and then say you didn't say or whatever. So I believe in locking down the target and making them put it in writing. Mm -hmm. So he would never do that. He would never do that. He he never responded to us. So that's that's the first thing. And then I have to say his personal life, um, the the things that are out at, there. Um, I, I think not apologizing to his constituents uh, was very wrong. And I know some of the, um, you know, some of the really community bedrock people yeah. uh, that supported Cole all those years, they're just done with him uh, because of that. And um, so being unrepentant is not a good look for a legislator and he is just so totally i mean he's in and in interviews with uh when he's been to republican clubs and people ask him questions that he doesn't like to answer he gets all arrogant and gets all mad because he's being asked difficult questions mm -hmm. and so you know he likes to tell his constituents you just don't understand that's the that's those are the wrong words. That those are the absolute yeah. wrong words. So yeah, we uh we have endorsed um we endorsed um Dewey Collier last cycle. Uh we endorsed Jeff Fletcher this time. Uh because Jeff and I'll tell you the difference in that, they're both good men. Yeah. I think they both pretty much have the same core values. But in questioning Jeff about his um what I call his legislative style. Mm -hmm. He was able to articulate what he would do and, and legislators that he's already reached out to, to mm -hmm. say, hey, if I win this, I'd like to work with you because I understand that the most of the time you carry bills on X yeah. and I'm interested in that. So can we go ahead and start building a relationship here? And so we were impressed with um, with Jeff's 
<clears throat> understanding of some of the rule changes that need to be made as well. So we were just impressed with him, and he's a former district judge, mm -hmm. and um, he has the, the course. Now, we knew, <clears throat> already knew before that document dump at my house on yeah. a Friday that's delivered in a FedEx box. It's got everything anybody could ever find about Jeff Fletcher in it. And so he had had a reprimand from um, the um, Commission on Judicial Conduct. Mm -hmm. And so he explained, he had already explained that to the board when we said, is there anything we need to yeah. know? And he said, yeah. He said there was an infant that was with a really terrible mom. Uh, the infant's life was in danger. And so, yes, my, my goal was to get that baby away from that mother and to that grandmother that was trying to save the child. And yes, I did it on purpose. I, no, I did not coddle the mother and go overboard telling her that she could do this and she could do that. And he said, and I, uh, and I got written up for it. He said, but when it comes to saving the life of a child, I got I'm it. putting the life of the child first. Yep. And you know, I have to respect that. In a day we live, when you've got men and women, but, but men are supposed to be the protectors. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know that that's God's mm -hmm. way. That is. It's for men to be protectors, and they won't even stand up against the vile, filthy, degrading junk that's in libraries that kids have access to. Yeah. They won't even do that. So I, I have to admire a man that's ready to go, you know what? Some people may not like this, but I'm saving the baby. You understood. Let's talk about a race that's here, <coughs> close to where I live, and that's here in Dallas County. That's okay. Morgan Meyer, and Barry Wernick is, is oh, challenging yes. him. Because uh, oh. Morgan Meyer is going around telling people that he will be the next speaker, and mm -hmm. you know he's the budget chairman and everything. What was your uh, what impressed you about uh, Barry Wernick? Barry, it was just a great interview. First of all, he has it's high energy. Yes, he is high energy <laughs> with Barry, and it's like you know he can't wait. He he knows where the problems are, and he just can't wait to get in there and solve the problem. Yeah. And so he had lots of fresh ideas. And he was, he was very forthcoming. He would say, Ms. Fleming, I've heard that you ask questions about things we might have done wrong in our past. So he, he started talking about this thing, and I said, he goes, and Ms. Fleming, I could send you. I went, Barry, I believe you. <laughs> I, I believe you. But he is, uh, he's very focused on protecting children mm -hmm. and the family. He's very focused on, of course, border security, and he is just, you know, we, we, we talked for quite a while about education. We talked about, you know, we, we can't say, and, and he agreed with us, we can't say that all we're going to focus on is, is, is uh, parental choice and not do anything to hold the public schools accountable yeah. because we need to be doing both because what I don't want the legislature to do is to pass some kind of school choice bill that's not that has unintended consequences it doesn't achieve the things we want but they think but that's their get out of jail free card yeah. in other words we did what you asked us to we do. did something nothing to see here yeah see because that happens a lot yeah. our our statutes are just riddled with bills with legislation with laws that have no enforcement when you go to to say okay this is a law they broke this law um sorry they didn't really have anybody in there that's in charge of enforcing it and you're going what so that is one of the things i look for in candidates do they know enough about it to know to look for enforcement yeah so barry is one of those i am very sure that barry knows how to analyze legislation I believe he's interested in education for everybody that produces results. Mm -hmm. um, I Because Barry Wernick is the kind of guy that he doesn't have to do this. I mean, he could just go on living the, living the life that he's living. But he's got a great passion for this. He does. And um, so I, 
I'm excited about Barry. I think yeah. that um, he may rain on Morgan's parade a bit. Be interesting to see. Let's yeah. do a lightning round okay. and finish up. You know, any other honorable mentions for the Texas State House? Oh uh, well, I know, hate. I don't want to leave anybody. So AJ Louderback, okay. uh, Sheriff. Um, that's down in Victoria, yes. Texas. Um, and that's the open seat left by Jeannie Morrison. Okay. Um, I, I think AJ, he's, you know, he's got a dry Texan heat, but I'm going to tell you. He's sure. Uh, AJ sure. knows yeah. all about that border, yep. and, and I think he would be a really strong voice down there for, for enforcement uh, type issues. Um, we of course we we endorsed Abraham George. He's running in eighty nine against Candy Noble. Collin County, just yes. uh, north of uh, us yes. in Dallas. County. Um, and he had some really good ideas about how uh, he could help make the school choice bills better. Um, did we talk about Matt Morgan yet? No. Did we already talk about him? No. Um, okay, so he is running in House District twenty six against J C Jaton. Um, he um, he is all about eliminating the opportunity for <clears throat> government overreach, yeah. executive overreach during things like COVID. We talked about that very much. Um, and he said that um, he wants to fix the property tax system because there's still too much to fix in it. Mm -hmm. That, by the way, that the constitutional amendment, some of those things, even though it gave some temporary uh, tax relief and quite a bit to some people, mm -hmm. it's going to make it harder for us to reform it. He was very aware of that. Um, on the day that I talked to him, and that was back in December, I believe, he had already knocked over $6,000. Wow. So he's got a great uh, a great team, and um, so anyway, the type of business that he is in, he's very much into analytics, okay. and I think that he's going to have a mind that can help us find flaws in bills. So I like that very much about him. Then Vince Gallo um, in '63 running against Ben Bumgardner, mm. um, Denton County, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. former police officer, um, and. He said this, the Republican House has been dismally inadequate. <laughs> I think that sums it up. Yeah, it does sum yeah. it up. So anyway, he was all about how um, we, I, we, I'm going to be a, somebody that goes down there and articulates the conservative agenda. He said, the grassroots agenda, whatever is said, and whatever our primary voters tell mm -hmm. us on those propositions, those are going to be my priorities. Good. So excited to hear that from him. Um, so in uh, House District 61, which is Frederick Frazier, okay. we decided on a dual endorsement because we had people in our coalition. Some of them wanted to go with Chuck Branch. Some of them wanted to go with Carissa. And so they both interviewed very well. Okay. Two very different personalities, different focus and orientation, but I think they both uh, are, are really conservatives and have a heart for service. So that's what we did in that race. Okay. Um, Jay Curtis is running against Cody Harris in House District And we interviewed eight. Jay Curtis on yes. the Steadfast and Law program. He is, a, of course, he's a, a U.S. Navy veteran, a submarine. I don't know what the... Submariner. Term, submariner. That's what they call themselves. Um, but anyway, he said, we just don't have any representation. And he said that uh, he has a heart for teachers and believes that that it's not just a pay raise they're looking for, yeah. that they're actually looking for people that will get some of the administrative boots off their necks Absolutely. Uh, and and set teachers free to do what they that they know they should do, the good teachers. So he was really good on an array of issues um, and could articulate those very well. And then Jamie Haynes. Okay. I have to talk about Jamie Haynes up in the panhandle. Um, that's a House District 86 running against John Smithy. I tell you, Jamie is a, is a firebrand. She is a high-energy lady, started focusing on the issues in education, on, on the books, on you know social-emotional learning and all the psychobabble that 
that um, masquerades as education mm-hmm. today. And so Jamie has a lot of good um, grassroots support in, in her race, but we like Jamie a lot and we think she would really go far in shaking up the house. Um, let's see, Mark LaHood, uh, House District 121 running against Jim Allison. Okay. That's the old Strauss district. Uh, Mark LaHood is a- San Antonio area. Yes. Yep. And um, again, uh, he is the kind of guy, he's, he's an attorney, analytical mind. We were all about, I said, so when you're going to analyze the bill, tell me, tell me the first thing. He said, well, he talked about limited government. He said, do we already have something on the books yeah. that would do the job? Because he said, we have way too many laws on the books that are not being utilized to, to solve the very issues that they were put on the books for in the beginning. So he said, I'll go look and see what we've already got. And I thought, well, that's absolutely yeah. brilliant yeah. because you, most of the time you don't, you don't hear that. But um, he is a, um, he's a very strong candidate, very strong candidate, yeah. knew a lot about um, educational funds. He says there needs to be more accountability for that. And, and, and he was really good on um, election integrity too. Um, so let me see real quick. I think we've blown through these. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Liz Case and Paulette, Paulette Kaysen, Carson. Um, Paulette Carson is running against Trent Ashby in House District 9. Very, very informed candidate. Winsome personality. Mm-hmm. East Texas. Yes, and and she came up through Republican women, but I she just she just knows the issues. Good. I mean, there wasn't a question I could stump her on. Uh, Liz Case, same way. House District seventy one against Stan Lambert. Um, she's really all about uh, parental rights and um, border security. She knew all about World Economic Forum and the globalist. Um, tentacles everywhere and knew about 30 by 30 plan mm, that's important. Uh, the Bill land Gates. grab yep. yes and so my last one i think that i need to talk to to you today about is uh tim greason in house district 85 against stan kitzman really great guy um when i talked to him he didn't have a lot of ground game going but he was getting it together mm-hmm. but i'm gonna tell you something alan Sometimes somebody interviews so well that even if they don't have the path to victory, I want to encourage them. Absolutely. I want to encourage them in their work and encourage them to stay in the conservative movement because even if some of these candidates don't make it the first time, if they will come in and work with us, we will help them uh, be effective uh, in Austin. So... Yep, I think that's about it. I've got a, of course, Steve Toth yeah. uh, and uh, Edgar Pacheco in House District Twenty Nine. Brilliant, brilliant young man, uh, and is smart as he can be on all things education. Good special education and everything. So Brandon Gill, mm-hmm. Congressional District. 26. 26, because um, Michael Burgess is yes. stepping down. We endorsed him. Um, he, very well spoken. Uh, I think President Trump has endorsed him, yep. too. Um, just a, a very engaging young man, very, very conservative. And I told him, I said, Brandon, if you make it, we are not going to let Washington change you. So I gave well, him my... I Hopefully gave him not. my talking to about what you have to do to keep that from mm-hmm. happening. Hopefully his father-in-law won't allow that to happen. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Yeah. I like that. You know, I told, yeah. I told him, I said, you know, the word was that you're just this guy that just showed up here, that you're really not a Texan. And he went through the whole thing about how he grew up on a ranch. So anyway, uh, but he was, he was delightful. Good. He knows so much. So we're actually hoping to work with uh, the House Freedom Fund. Nice. Uh, on not only on this race, but also, you know, they've got a they've got a state level organization to work with your state, state legislators. legislators. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're really, really hoping, hoping to, to partner, partner with them with, with Andy Roth and some of those 
to come in and do an orientation for our new legislators and try to get them off on the right on the right step. Good. Let's close on talking about this because I think this is these are the races that people don't pay attention to, but the left pays attention to. In 2018, you know, Soros came in here and they targeted Dallas and Houston, knocked out, I think, 55 to 56 judicial races. Uh, here in Dallas County, uh, we've got 73% of judicial races going to be unopposed. Talk to us about the Texas Criminal Courts of Appeals and why that is so important in this election cycle here in Texas and why we've got to pay better attention to judicial races. Well, judicial races overall are, are the races that I see people know the least about because the whole organizational chart of this court, that court, people get confused. So what we try to do is to educate people in between uh, elections to inform them about what they do. Um, so, so I will tell you a big thing to watch for in the Texas Supreme Court this has become a function, not an aberration, not a bug. Uh, people stay on that court and stay on that court and stay on that court. And then when they decide to retire, they wait till after the filing and they retire. So then what happens? The governor appoints. And so we have several on the court that have never been opposed in a race ever because they were appointed by the governor. So I don't think that's healthy. Um, the state of Texas, I know that there are some interest, special interests that want us to go to appointed judges rather than elected, and that's a big no. But nevertheless, that's, that's a trend. So uh, you will see that the effects of that when during COVID, there were all these cases that people were filing with the, with the Supreme Court because they take those types of cases, civil matters, and and so you know there was there was this prediction that came out that oh the Supreme Court will not take those cases. Well, that's kind of brazen for the executive branch to say they're not going to take the case. Used to they might whisper it, but they didn't just state it. I, I find that to be alarming. Yeah, because it's supposed to be separate co-equal branches of government. That's right. So anyway, so that's something to watch, particularly with these higher courts. So now with the Criminal Court of Appeals, um, you know, that court is slower, much slower in, in turning out opinions than it had been in the past. Um, there was a, a bright, 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 I mean a very highly intellectual and and, and just a, a originalist kind of uh, attorney who ran for that last time and didn't make it, but he's running for a lower court of appeals in the Houston area and uh, is unopposed in the primary. So we're, we're hopeful that he makes it there. But anyway, he pointed out and showed the statistics about how that court has slowed down. Not only has that court slowed down, and so, you know, the judges on the Criminal Court of Appeals don't need to send me a nasty gram about it because I've already seen the stats. But the other thing is the bad decisions. They've made, I guess the one that really sticks in everybody's mind is the issue of saying that the Attorney General does not have the constitutional authority to investigate and prosecute election fraud. Well, it's always, that was always one of those concurrent jurisdictions with the district attorney. Now, I will tell you this, that we have had in the past legislation to try to remove that from local district attorneys to the attorney general because of this whole Soros thing. And look, it's not just, it, it predates George Soros. We've always in this state had district attorneys, particularly in some of the border counties, that did not want to even, did not want to prosecute a state jail felony. Because they'd say, we don't have the money, or we don't have this, or we don't have that. But anyway, it already was selective prosecution, I guess. And so when you have a district attorney, a local district attorney that does not want to prosecute all crimes, then 
he's subverting justice. Law and order. Because of that, because laws are laws are a thing only if they are enforced. That's true. Right? Yep. So, uh, because it's supposed to be a deterrent, right? Yeah. Like you get in trouble if you break the law. So, and to apply it equally to everyone—that's the rule of law. That law applies every time to everybody, no matter where they come from or not, no matter what station in life they have. So, so on the Criminal Court of Appeals, Appeals that has, has been, been the catalyst for people to just say, anybody that's on the ballot from the Criminal Court of Appeals needs to go to the House, and we need to put somebody else in here. Because you know and I know that election fraud is one of those things that, you know, the, the backbone disintegrates over that, because they might have to look in very closely at a race that ha that involves a local sheriff, a, a county judge, another judge, whatever. And so if you don't have the ability for the people to take a case to the attorney general, they're just stuck with non-enforcement of election law. So that really stuck, uh, struck a nerve with the people. And the places where you see the greatest propensity for that to happen or in those major counties, population counties, Dallas County, Harris County, Travis County, Bear County, El Paso County. So basically we said to the left, you can go and do all these nefarious things with elections and the Soros-backed DA in those counties, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to care. And there's no backfill. Right. All right. Last question. Okay. You get to answer it to the audience out here. This, this is this is, is how I finish up, you know, all the interviews with I've done with candidates, and I think it's so important that you articulate. And I know that no one can articulate an answer to this better than oh, no, Joanne Flynn. No pressure there. No pressure there. Why are the elections in Texas important to the United States of America? Because if we lose Texas, we will never, ever, ever elect another Republican president of these United States in our lifetimes. It is the end of America. It is the end of America. So everywhere you have any Republican inviting Democrats to come into a primary or open primaries and vote, that is an incumbent that you don't need to support because they are defying, they are actually handing over our Texas to Democrats. And the Democrats of today are not like the yellow dogs. The blue dogs. Blue dogs that we know, totally different. No, totally different. And so if you want to stop the evil that's going on in Washington, D.C., we have to start right here first in your own backyard and in Texas. We must save Texas. Told you she could answer better than anyone else. Joanne Fleming. Executive Director, Grassroots America, We the People. And I want to thank you for all the teaching, coaching, and mentoring you've done for me over the past 10 years since I've been back here in Texas. Really, it's been Well, it's been a pleasure because here's what we know about Alan West. You're the same no matter what, and you've got it in here and up here, so you can answer any question about government, any aspect of it because you know those uh, first of all those judeo-christian values and then the liberty principles because they're in here they're written on your heart thank you thank you for serving our country it's my pleasure god country in texas ladies and gentlemen if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with others click the like button and we want to see what joanne fleming is doing here replicated in all 50 states that's the whole purpose and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the steadfast and law podcast and until next time Remain steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down.